Welcome to Fanboy News Network, your guide to geek culture. I'm Jeff Harris. And I'm Daniel Christensen. So after six, seven months, we last saw you in June. Wow. And we were in a different location. So if things sound a little different, a few things have changed since we... A, a couple things. Area code, uh, zip code. Uh, county. New, yeah. County, new microphone. Yeah. So... Uh, as we stated in our last episode all those many months ago, uh, I have moved to a new area. Yep. Daniel and I no longer live 15 minutes apart. Yeah. More like a little over an hour. It depends on, yes, depends on traffic and mm-hmm. how many people are in front of me in line. So, But uh, of the changes, so the first thing, if we sound different, uh, first off, uh, I am in a new office space in my new home. Yay. I'm no longer sharing space with my wife as far as studio. We still have the wife, though. Oh, yeah. She's around. She has her own studio downstairs. Uh Uh-huh. So I have my own office that is now acting as uh, my studio. And we did put up some blankets for some sound absorption, but it is still a bigger room. Admit it, Jeff. You put up the blankets because you're a vampire and you're trying to keep the sun out. Shh. I, I can neither confirm nor deny oh. anything on uh-huh. that front. Uh, also, I am using a new microphone. Um, my friend Ian Crowfeather from the Video Nasties Project got me a housewarming gift of a new Yeti Blue microphone. Ooh. So uh, the same type of microphone we use on the Video Nasties Project. And uh, it is a much more powerful microphone. I'm using it on the simplest setting because Daniel and I are literally sitting next to each other while we record this. We could be sitting across from each other and the microphone could be set to do that. Or we could make it 360 to capture the whole room. But I think the echo would be weird. Well, we're weird enough as is. We don't need to add that to it. True. Uh, The other thing I'm excited about this studio space, uh, now that I'm here, uh, one of the plans is... Uh, If you read the update on Fanboy News Network announcing our return from hiatus, uh, I am going to start working on developing a YouTube series to go along with uh, all of our other shenanigans. Multiple shenanigans. Take your pick. We got your hot shenanigans. We got your cold shenanigans. We got your video shenanigans. We got... Yeah. Uh, The video series, uh, that's another advantage of having the studio space. I just need to get a backdrop set up in here. I already have the lights and the camera, and we've done some tests. But uh, do not expect to see those videos prior to the summer, simply because uh, I need to record them. I need to practice editing. And I want to have a good backlog of videos before I put forth the channel. And just as a reminder for those of you not in the Pacific Northwest, when we say summer, we mean like July, August. Yes. Yes. It, yeah. Yes. So uh, anyway, so yeah, that's, uh, and you will see this lovely space and my face. Although if you want to see what I look like, go look at the Video Nasties Project. Look up one of the reviews I participated on there. And if you want to wait, if you if you want to find out what I look like, you're just gonna have to wait. Sorry, folks. Anyway, so uh, obviously, in the six months since we last recorded, so much has happened in geek culture. There's no way we're even going to try and cover everything. It would be ridiculous. Well, we could. We just end up sounding like you know some a squirrel on too much caffeine, and you know. Gilbert Gottfried had a love child. Yeah, no. No. So uh, maybe some meta discussion, but overall, I think we're going to get ready to start fresh. Uh, The other thing, uh, right now, Daniel and I, at our last discussion, decided the easiest way to do this would be to make the frequency of the podcast monthly. Yes. So expect around the middle of each month, we will put out a podcast And in the other weeks of the month, uh, I'm going to be working on creating articles again, uh, working on reviews that Daniel will be acting as my proofreader. Yes, I I will translate Jeff into English. Which, oh boy, I need. And then eventually the videos will also loop into that cycle. So once in the month and better it be when the, oh, never mind. When the microphone is on. When when our schedules aren't full. True. So, uh, yeah. So I, I suppose getting into the, I also before we do this, I also find it funny that the episode we come back on is episode seventy. Yay! Which kind of breaks a tradition. 
I'm, I'm here for a round number. You're here for a round number. Wow. It doesn't usually happen. I usually need a guest host. Yeah, well. Uh, but, yeah. Wanted so, to keep you on your toes. Sure. Plus, I, I, I'm i glad we recorded this because I desperately did not want our last episode to be episode 69. Because you're a nerd. Yeah. And, and deep down, I'm just a 12-year-old. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I, I think the first thing, just because of the impact on geek culture... Is even though it was a while back, let's let's pour one out for Stanley. Who? <laughs> you people, uh, you didn't see how Daniel almost got backhanded. Yes. Yeah. No, I, uh, that who? Jeez. Um, so the main creative force behind Marvel Comics and the Marvel Universe as we know it uh, did pass away, and it's. You know, there have been a lot of celebrity deaths, a lot of celebrities I admire um, that in the last few years we've lost. Uh, but I don't think I got as emotional about any of them as I ended up getting about Stan Lee. Really? Well, I think because comics informed so much of my childhood. And Stan's creations were so important to me growing up that yeah his passing for some reason really just it it was one that struck me i i would have thought i would have felt the same like i did about bowie when he passed but no stan actually hit me harder really yeah no, that that's amazing cuz i i i since i didn't come from as much of a, a strictly comic book background i mean I, I know what he's done. I know what he's created and what he's given to the to the world at large. Um, and I, I do actually remember the, the one chance I got to see him. I never met him, never shook his hand, but I got to see him when I was working at Comic-Con a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Dude was a machine. He was 80 plus years old and he was going at it longer and harder and signing autographs and taking pictures Long after all the other celebrities had gone home, he was still there and he was still pushing it. It was amazing to see the man work. Yeah. He loved what he did. I mean, he's kind of the embodiment of that do do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. He he just, he kept going. It was amazing to see him in, in, in the flesh. Yeah. And it is somewhat timely because uh, as we're recording this, it has a week well, less than a week since Captain Marvel came out. Came out and set all sorts of wonderful, wonderful records, yes. And being the first Marvel movie to come out since Stan's passing, yeah. they did honor Stan in the movie uh, right from the get-go. There was a, a wonderful... I won't If you haven't seen Captain Marvel, I won't spoil what they did, but the... The, what they did to honor Stan and his legacy was absolutely classy. Uh, just great and wonderful. And because of when this was filmed, Stan still had his cameo. Yeah. So, And apparently he had already filmed the uh, next Avengers cameo. So, What, they weren't just going to have him like wither away into, into the black confetti like everyone else in the MCU? I, uh, all I've heard is that we will see Stan in Avengers Endgame. All right. So... Those it was nice, but it was a nice touch, and I, I love the fact that with you know the uh, the DVDs and everything of Captain Marvel going forward, you're going to have that nice thing they did for Stan at the beginning of the movie. So Good. yeah, that's so. With that, uh, I suppose the other thing before we get into movies proper is uh, as we're coming back, we're also coming back at the beginning of convention season. Yep, Emerald City is Friday, so what, this will probably drop after Emerald City is closed? If I follow my schedule, yeah, I'll probably actually be editing it during the Emerald City weekend. I'm not going to be going to Emerald City myself. I'm actually skipping this year myself. I, I did have an option of getting badges, uh, but my wife is going. She's going to be helping vend, and I do have a bunch of other friends who are going to be there. So I'll get reports uh, on the convention. Uh, the, the weird things happening this year. I don't know how I feel. Really? What 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 makes you say that? So, and this for people listening, if you're not familiar with the Washington State Convention Center, 
traditionally what has happened with Emerald City Comic Con is fans filter in the main entrance of the convention center. Then there are escalators that go up uh, and you go up to the very top of the escalators and that's usually the main floor and registration and the entrance to the convention proper is usually on that floor. Right. That is not what is happening this year. Of course. So first off, uh, no one will be allowed into the anywhere into the convention center without an Emerald City badge. Wow. At all. Just not at all. And the entrance to the convention will not be through the main street entrance to the convention center. That will be designated as an exit only. What, what is going to be entrance then? So across the street, because there's a sky bridge yeah. uh, at the Washington State Convention Center, and then there's an entrance that connects across the street. It's a smaller entrance. Yeah. Uh, Smaller being the key term. And that will be the entry point to the convention. You enter there and then filter into the convention hall. And they will have one area over there designated as ADA entrance with one elevator. uh, And it's going to create a funnel effect getting into the convention. Yeah. Okay. I... With all due love and respect to my fellow minions, both current and prior, I got it. I mean, what's the best way to put this? I I do empathize with them from the perspective that they only have so many square feet to play with. Mm -hmm. They only have so many entrances and so many exits, and you can only function. It's not... Feng Shui in the proper placement. It's more like those games we had back in the 70s where it's like 16 spaces and 15 little tiles and you have to scoot them all around to get them in the, to make the right picture. Right. Yeah. It's more like that. So I, I do not envy them trying to find that, that perfect placement. But really? There, there's a lot of concern. Uh, I've been following a lot of uh, discussion online. It's- so I do have concerns. I have friends who are ADA. When, and to, just to be certain, when you're saying that, you're saying Americans with Disabilities Act. So people who are mobility or otherwise right, yeah, impaired in some way. Correct. Uh, and people I know who have, in, including some professionals, people who are going to be at the convention in a professional capacity, who have real big concerns, uh, especially because that's a harder entrance to get to. Yeah. Um, there is no direct feed from the parking garage to that entrance. Yeah. So I do not know what they're thinking. But, I, I mean, I do kind of understand what they're thinking. Uh, it's trying to control the flow. It's trying to conf- basically trying to cut down on the influx of people who try and weasel their way into the convention. I understand they're trying to cut down on the, on the people weaseling in. They're doing it at the expense of the not-so-able-bodied people. And that's really frustrating because it all... I mean, so much of our discussions, especially on this podcast, have been about inclusion and inclusivity and bringing people who are not traditionally healthy-bodied, straight white dudes into into geek culture... And this is a gigantic middle finger to all that. So yeah. I am I'm very concerned. Part of me is actually a little relieved that I that I that I opted out this year. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. I don't want to be one of those people like you know that are review bombing the Captain Marvel that haven't seen it yet. But it I, suffice to say, I'm incredibly dubious. Yeah. And I sincerely hope that they find the best possible resolution. But really. So we will see. I mean, by by our next episode, I'm sure we will be doing a review of how that went. Yeah. Stay tuned. Uh, the moving away from that. Now let's 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 let us shift our focus and let us talk movies. Ah. So we're in the early stages of the movie season, really. Although. In this day and age, movie season doesn't really mean anything anymore. Well, I was going to say, aside from, you know, tent props like Memorial Day weekend and uh, Fourth of July weekend, which is, you know, 
Will Smith Day mm-hmm. and Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's it's free for all this season. It's not like these things. Well, I'd say it's not like these things are Oscar contenders. But hey, shout out to the Black Panther for winning some Oscar. Yeah, and it came out in February of last year. Yeah. So you know that, and again, that's showing. One of the things is the idea of putting out movies on meaningful days. Meaningful days. So Black Panther came out during Black History Month. Right. And the timing of, obviously, we are edging towards the discussion of Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel came out, it opened on International Women's Day. Oh, I I never put two and two together on that. I was too busy thinking of a Deadpool, but anyway. Yeah, so they they were very cognizant of certain things when they're putting out. Marvel likes its symbolic days, if it can have them, for what they're working on. Well, we are very symbol-minded people, so. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh. Uh, welcome back, everyone. So Certified free-range dad-free ch- dad jokes. Uh, so, I did see Captain Marvel. Yes. Twice. Uh, yes. I've, it, it has been out less than a week. I've already seen it twice. We're, we're going to discuss why in a minute, because something else really interesting from my perspective happened. Captain, it was a Marvel movie, so it was great. It was a well-written script. It's pretty much what you can expect from Marvel these days. They're going to take the comic book property. They'll find something interesting to do. But we're really getting into the... Marvel is taking, especially some of these more obscure characters, although I don't think Captain Marvel is fairly to say an obscure character. Captain Marvel isn't, but Goose is. But they're taking the these characters and then streamlining and in, uh, often... Tinkering in in excellent improvements to the origin stories. Uh, they did it a bit with Black Panther. Oh yeah. In some of the representation of Wakanda and how they dealt with the royal family, with Captain Marvel. So Carol Danvers in the comics has easily one of the most convoluted and hard to follow origins of just about any character. She has been through many permutations and has unfortunately been through. Many less than stellar writers trying to figure out her place in the Marvel Universe. Uh, including some stories that are, shall we say, infamous. Uh, Which is a nice way of saying messed up. Yeah. And it wasn't until Kelly Sue DeConnick got uh, her hands on her uh, and changed Carol from her various other identities. Carol has had four different superhero names really? in her career. Okay. She started out as Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, and being very much a distaff counterpart to the original Captain Marvel. Right? Wasn't that the one in the the white with the little peekaboo keyhole? Or is that? Am I, I think you're thinking of somebody else. Okay. Uh, um, then she was binary, uh, and this is after she had lost her original set of powers to Rogue of the X Men. Of course. Uh, and got a new set of powers. And those powers, they connected her to a white hole. Uh, and made her cosmic level powerful. Then those powers were, the connection to the white hole was severed, but her ability to manipulate energy was kept. And she went back to her old Miss Marvel, her second Miss Marvel costume, but called herself Warbird. Okay. Uh, and again, a- attempts to try and find a place for her in the Marvel Universe. And then finally, Kelly Sue DeConnick came up and said, you know what? No one else is using the name. She is now Captain Marvel. And pretty much that's when uh, the character really took off because it was an amazingly written series. Well, because it's Kelly Sue DeConnick. It, it, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they found the right writer. Yeah. And Ke- interestingly, Kelly Sue has a cameo. Good. In in the movie. Good. In the same scene with Stan Lee. How about that? So, nicely done. Um, <clears throat> so, what the Marvel movie did is took elements of her original origin, uh, combined with some of the work Kelly Sue did, yeah. and has come up with a nicely streamlined origin for Carol that pulls in all the great elements of the character. Mm-hmm. And... Works cohesively, and I, I have, as often happens, uh, I expect the m- comics to slowly make some slight retcons to make it more recognizable to that origin. Well, you know, 
I, I'm glad that they're doing stuff like that because on behalf of all the people who don't have 30 years to wade through back issues, it's nice that they're able to come up with something streamlined that gives respect to the past and yet doesn't make you wade through 30 years worth of back issues. Right. So, so um, yeah, I, I was also, you mentioned Goose. I was glad to see. So, Goose's name in the comics is Chewy, by the way. Well. But they just, I think they made a good choice going from the Star Wars reference to the Top Gun reference. It's a nice it's a nice thing that way, but you know, it's not like they're not owned by the same people anyway. True. True, but still I think I think it worked within the context of the film to make the name change. Yes, it definitely. Doesn't appreciably change anything else about about Carol's pet. Yeah. So the yeah, so so fine movie, really enjoyed. Obviously, I saw it twice in 2 days. Yeah. And because you're a nerd. Yes. And like I said, in a minute we'll go over what was unique about my second shot. But uh, the other big story around Captain Marvel was the the unfortunate um, response to a certain sector of fandom. And here's the weird thing that, that I was really thinking about during this. Because everyone's like, well... Captain Marvel has disproven the idea that a movie cannot be fronted by a female lead. And I'm like, we've disproven this several times now. In fact, there was reports recently in the last couple of years that that um, female-led movies are, are actually some of the highest grossers. Yes. So, no, it didn't disprove it. That was disproven a long time ago. Everyone knew. It's just you get these vocal... I don't, and, and it, it, it's really sad that the because it is fragile masculinity at its finest. And the thing I was really worried about was I'm 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 worried some of them might have thrown out their backs picking up and moving those goalposts <laughs> uh, because you know they were like okay we're going to review bomb the movie and then Rotten Tomatoes said yeah we're going to fix things because this is obviously we know what you're trying to do and we're not going to let you get away with it. Yep. And then they were like well the movie's going to flop. And everyone knew that wasn't going to be true. Yeah. So now they're now uh, the latest says, well, it didn't it didn't do as well as the other movies. It had the second best opening of any Marvel movie and the sixth best opening, period. So I think it did fine. It, I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but they were just shy of half a b billion dollars. For its opening weekend. In worldwide sales, absolutely. In worldwide, 455 million tickets. Uh, not tickets. Dollars. Dollars. That's amazing. So now the thing is, well, the movie sucked. Uh, not according to anyone who's actually seen it. Yeah, how about that? So, you know, it's... It, it, guys, it's... it's I, I understand these, these people aren't going to go away. Because they're in their own little insular world. They're convinced they're right. And, but the sad thing is they're convinced that their tactics are going to work, and they don't. And then they get really upset when the tactics don't work. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's time to take a a, a a hard look in the mirror and and think about what you're doing with your life. Well, you know, I, and if I thought these people were people that could actually do that, but I don't. Well, but let, let let's just think about this for a minute. So. Okay. Since it's con weekend, mm -hmm. I am going to uh, remember one of my favorite uh, authors mm -hmm. who we both have had interactions with, Randy Mulholland. Yeah. And specifically, his campaign against stinky nerds. How the man, the man would have a little basket of Axe body spray. At his desk. And anytime somebody come up, he would, that smelled, he would hand them Axe Body Spray. I remember you gifting him with, what was it, D20 soap? So, a few years ago, my wife was making uh, soap shaped like gaming dice. Yeah. Both little ones that were the size and, the, the size and shape of sets of gaming dice. And then large size D20s and D6s. Yeah. So, uh, and she was vending those at Emerald City Comic Con. And... Some of them smelled like Mountain Dew. It yeah. was lovely. Yeah, and Randy Mulholland was also at the event. And I, uh, I got Larissa's permission to take a D6 and a D20 soap over. And I approached the table. 
And I said, Randy, I'm a huge fan and I've brought you a gift. And he went, and there was a look on his like, you brought me a gift. I said, Randy, see these dice shaped things? These are soap. And he went, oh, the squeeze said he was so, he's like, you're giving me dice shaped soap. And he turned to his friend, the woman who does um, Girls with, with Slingshots. slingshots. Yeah. Look, Daniel look, look, Daniel, dice soap. He was so happy. He gave me a free sketch. We sat and talked like five minutes. We had a great time. Um, Which, so, if you know the guy, the man's a huge introvert. So the fact that he spoke to one person for five minutes is kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, he, and he's been, you know, pretty vocal on this. He, he's about done with these guys. Yeah. The reason why I bring it up, though, is because them getting beat on the head by the powers that be is not going to have an impact. It is going to. It falls to. It falls to we responsible humans mm-hmm. to 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 do lovingly or sometimes not so lovingly say, "Dude, my bro, pull your head out." Yeah. It takes somebody like someone that you look up to, Randy Mulholland, saying, "It's called soap," to actually drive it home that maybe they should actually stand near a bar of soap on occasion. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I mean. Slowly, ever so slowly, people might come to the thing, but it's going to take some work and it's going to take us stepping up to it. So, you know, don't be afraid to say something. Now, the other thing I'm excited about. So Captain Marvel was uh, directed by a uh, a team yep. who's, I don't have it in front of me in their name, but it was a, uh, a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Marvel, basically, Kevin Feige made a great decision when he decided not only to have diversity in front of the camera, but have diversity behind the camera. Um, oh, right. So it's uh, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck that were the directors. So you did, I... you did have a female director on Captain Marvel, much as you had Ryan Coogler directing Black Panther. Hmm. And just today, and again, I'm, the name is escaping me, they just announced one of the upcoming Marvel movies is going to be... Shang-Chi, which was uh, a character. Uh, often the book was called Master of Kung Fu. Okay. And so they're going to do... So basically it is... All right, we've had... So they're going to have now their first Asian-led Marvel movie. And Dustin Daniel Cretton, or Cretton, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce the name, uh, an Asian-American director will be behind the camera. They have not announced any of the cast, uh, but again, it is the, you know, basically Marvel has seen diversity works within the Marvel Universe, and with as wide and rich a universe as they have, they can uh, bring this greater level of representation while still maintaining, hey, it's a Marvel movie. Uh, And so, uh, honestly, this is an... You know, Kugler's had great success, not just with Black Panther, but with the Creed movies. Yeah. So, you know, this, uh, I I have great hope that this is going to continue on. Uh, And, you know, you are seeing this in other areas slowly beginning to, to widen out. And I think it goes back to that old saying that when you're the privileged class, equality on other people starts to feel like oppression. Yeah. It's not. It's adding more voices to the mix. Yeah. So with that, I've been teasing that something for uh, interesting happened when I saw Captain Marvel yes, the second time. Indeed. Now, this isn't... Now, first off, we're not talking about anything groundbreaking, earth-shattering, but... It's actually kind of something old, but... Yeah, as we stated at the top, I've moved. Yes. I do not live where I used to live. No. Nope. I live now... I will not say, uh, uh, as often I don't do, I don't will not say specifically where I live, but let's just say I live out on the Olympic Peninsula of Washington. Indeed. And out on the Olympic Peninsula of Washington, we have not one, not two, but three still functioning drive-in movie theaters. Wow. And one of those movie theaters... uh, has opened for the now, now they're seasonal. You can't run they, they don't run them all year round. You couldn't in Washington. Yeah. Snow. Snow, lots of rain. But as we get into the summer months, it becomes more conducive to run a drive-in. Yes. So 
it has opened for the season. And so when my wife and I moved and we discovered there's a drive-in, we determined, well, we're going to go. Obviously. And the first weekend it was open, we couldn't go because I had a terrible cold. Yeah, you still stick with the death. <clears throat> yeah, I, I was. I, I still, my voice you may hear, I'm still having the cough because it never goes away. But uh, the last weekend was the second weekend it was open, and it is a three-screen movie theater. I, I will state where this movie is. It is the Rodeo Drive-In uh, out on uh, near Bremerton. And which is nowhere near where you live, but it is kind of near where I live. And anyway, the um, it is a three screen drive in, uh, and each screen shows two movies, double in tra- feature traditional drive in double feature, uh, opens at 7 p.m. at night, and the movies are at dusk. Uh, you need to have an FM radio because they don't have speakers, yeah. They, they, you, although they do have radios you can rent. <laughs> from the concession stand. I got a little $40 boombox. There you go. And put it on the dashboard of the car. Worked great. Uh, so, th- yeah, I am... And the thing is, I haven't been to a drive-in theater since my early 20s when there was still a drive-in in Bellingham, Washington. Wow. Uh, but And when that closed down... and Because I would occasionally... Because my family lives in Bellingham. And I'd go visit and occasionally... All through high school. Uh, I went to that drive-in theater, and I would occasionally go when I'd go up to visit family uh, for nostalgia until it finally went away. Yeah. So to find near where I live now a fully functioning drive-in theater, and when I posted online, oh, hey, I'm going to the drive-in, a lot of my friends were like, wait a minute, there's an active drive-in yep. somewhere around here, somewhere that's that's somewhat reasonable to get to? Well, I wouldn't say it's too reasonable to get to. I mean, it's the Olympic Peninsula, so you yeah. Know. How many people have come to visit you out here? You, you, you've come quite. A few. This is your fourth, third or fourth time visiting yep. me in the new house. But you're also my best friend, so mm-hmm. that's uh, anyway. Uh, so no, the so I I I do expect the drive-in to be part of my experience now living out here, and it could be a draw. Yeah, and it's it's just. Basically, my plan is to every week see, okay, what's showing at the drive-in? Because it's not that expensive. It's still only $10 yeah. a person. And, you know, I can bring my own popcorn and food and drink. They do have very strict rules. No booze, no drugs. Well, yeah. Uh, and It and, is a drive-in. Yeah. So, you know. They, uh, but it's it's family-owned. Yeah. Family-owned yeah. and operated. And it's been the same family for 30 years. Yeah, see, it it makes me laugh because you know you talk about how long it's been since you were driving. I was actually at that same drive-in. That was my last drive-in experience uh, back, and I remember seeing uh, Madagascar and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy back when people were like, I'm totally blanking on his name, um, the guy who was uh, Arthur Dent, who is oh, Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. Not- Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah, Morgan Freeman. Someone's completely different. Uh, with Martin Freeman, and it's like back before he was Sherlock and Bilbo and. Well, he was Watson. But you're right. Pardon yeah. me. He was Watson. But back, Bilbo back. and before before he was a big deal. Yes. So yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so you may periodically hear me on the podcast talking about drive-ins. I might even do a little research on the current state of drive-in theaters and write an article about it. Hey, see if you can get Joe Bob Briggs out here. He's still alive. So it's interesting because on the website for the drive-in, they talk about, you know, there is a bit of a resurgence in interest in drive-ins yeah. uh, that are still functional. And they do. And you know what? It was a, despite the fact that it was an early dusk, because this was before uh, the clocks changed, uh, it, it wasn't packed. If you wanted to get in, you were going to find a place. But certainly the best spots went pretty quick. Of course. And uh, it it was a healthy-sized crowd. They certainly made a profit that evening. Well, but I mean, you talk about the resurgence. You think about it. Because over where I live, they don't have drive-in theaters. Because, go figure, they got plowed under and turned into condos. But what they do have is outdoor movies where they'll either hang up a sheet or find a nice white building to shoot it up against. And everyone will sit outside under the stars 
and eat popcorn and well usually drink beer but uh but it's that same feel it's the same vibe it's that st- that same need that people have uh it's just you know the new version of it while there's still actually the old version of it that's going to be kind of fun to to re-explore well i do think so like i said some of my friends were like oh if they're still driving one of my friends that was really interested has a a son who's not quite a teenager yet okay and i have a feeling his interest was more like i can bring the son to experience a drive-in yes yes uh i also got a message from a son of a friend of mine whose son is just turning 18 he he was actually like, you know you live near a drive-in now. Yes. You know what movies are showing this week. Yes, I'm going. Excellent. So I expect he, he will show up at some point too. So, and my goddaughter, who's uh, turning 10 this year, uh, we were talking about she might have a sleepover with us some night and uh, have her oh, there taken you out go. to have her have the experience. Of course, knowing her, she'll fall asleep in the back seat. Some of my best memories involve falling asleep in the back seat during a movie. Yeah. During a drive-in movie, I mean, yeah, right. So, so, so that's that's what's going on. That was the kind of the movie experience. Yes. Um. So for television, the um, one of the things we did not because I always talk about the DC comic shows on the CW, and earlier this, uh, well, not this year was was this season would be a proper way to say it. They did their their annual crossover. And they did a thing called Elseworlds, which is an imprint at, at DC. And it was a big crossover, te- which literally teased a crossover for next year, which is an adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Which, which for those of you not playing the home game, is... <laughs> was, well, it was one of the first big uh, crossover events at DC. It reset their universe. Again. It, well, no, it was the first time. Oh, it's the original reboot. Cri- yeah, Crisis was the original retcon. Wow. And so having an event like that is like, okay, I'm going to be curious. If they're if they're calling it that, what are they going to do? What's been interesting is they just announced last week that next season will be the last season of Arrow. The show that started off the DC, the, the DC Universe on CW... It is only going to be eight episode season, culminating in the crossover event. Interesting. And uh, I know a lot of people are like, well, what are they going to do when Arrow's gone? It's like, guys, they're already filming a pilot for Batwoman. I think I know what show is going to take Arrow's slot. Yeah. And but what they have is they have in their show universe because of how they did things, Supergirl's on a different Earth, of course, than the Flash and Arrow, and I think Black Lightning's on yet another Earth. Well, part of Crisis on Infinite Earths was bringing all the Earths together into a single Earth. I, I have a suspicion. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Well, it's a it, it's a pretty fairly well lit arrow pointing this way, saying, "Look over here." Yeah. But I do think it's a wise decision. I think Arrow's hit the point where it's a, it's a good call to end it. Yeah, uh, I actually well, haven't watched a, the season. I no. was going to say, how many seasons is that? That will have? be the eighth season when they do really? the final season. It's season seven right now. And meanwhile, Supernatural is on season, what, 40? 14 or 15. 40 or 50? Yeah. yeah. And um, so anyway, the, the point is, so they've got that going on. Plus, I'm going to be really interested to see how they handle Batwoman. I mean, we got a tease of her in the crossover event, but... I felt it, it was it was little more than a cameo, uh, but enough for them to decide. Yeah, sure, we're going to go with the series. Sure, or they're going to do a pilot. But every time they've done a pilot for a show for the CW uh, from DC, it's it's gone to series. Yeah. So uh, the other thing uh, that was interesting, I've been watching recently. Uh, you have Netflix. Yes. Have you have you watched the Umbrella Academy? No. Right. I hear it's too violent for me. Uh, possibly, yeah. Yeah, you you do have a different threshold for violence than I do. Yep. Uh, big surprise, horror movie fan. Yeah. Um. So it's based on a uh, a comic series, pretty well written by uh, Gerard Way of uh, My Chemical Romance. Interesting. Okay. Um, uh, he's a good writer. 
He wow. actually he, he did and and there uh and it's it's just oddball enough. And yeah, I could see some of the violence. I don't think it's up to the daredevil level personally, but uh, you know, I have a different sense of Yeah, no. than you do. Boy, I mangled that word. Yep. Yeah, so it's one of the reasons we love you. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's why I have you here, the English major. You're here to speak words good. What do you do with the BA in English? The, um, it's, it's interesting. It was, um, I felt they handled the material really well. Uh, you know, as always, they got to make changes. There's, there's just a lot of stuff. Netflix is an interesting playground right now for TV. Now, they canceled all the Marvel stuff. Well, yes, for better or for worse. Although there's a lot of suspicion that that may have more to do with behind-the-scenes things with Disney starting their own streaming service. True. And then you've got... Um, although you still have some of the other Marvel shows appearing over on Hulu. Yeah. And you, is I forget, is S.H.I.E.L.D. still on the air? S.H.I.E.L.D. is still on the air, and S.H.I.E.L.D. got renewed for this upcoming season and another season. Wow. Uh ABC has decided there. I, I do like what they did with Agents of Shield. Uh, they had the season finale uh, right around the time Infinity War came out. Yeah, and the next season will not kick off until after Endgame comes out. Well played, well played. So they can still keep their their ties to the universe and not have to deal with the snap and not have to deal with the black confetti. Right, exactly. Or be able to talk about it in passing and not have it impact their storyline. Exactly. Uh it was fun seeing Coulson in Captain Marvel. I Clark Gregg just makes me smile. He, he, he Yeah, he really does. He's a good dude. You just want to like give him a hug and a cookie and you know, it's like, "Oh, it's Clark Gregg." So, uh yeah, no, that's still going strong. The uh other thing, though, I've been doing, I, I've been doing some remedial TV watching. Okay. Uh, because there are some shows that I feel... All right, so in the last year or so, I've become a big fan of The Good Place. Ah, uh, yes. On NBC, which is uh, by Mike Shore. Here's my, my, my confession. Mm-hmm. It is the first Mike Shore show I've ever watched. Who's Mike Shore? So Mike Shore was a writer on the American version of The Office. Okay. Who then went off and created a show from the same production company called Parks and Recreation. Oh, okay. Now I understand. Which is a well-loved show that I never watched. And then he went from Parks and Recreation and created another show called Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Which is also a well-loved show. Indeed. So, But I didn't start watching Mike Shore shows until The Good Place. This makes so much more sense because each one of the it he he's kind of so he's basically like a nerdy Aaron a, a nerdier Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, in fact, uh, Parks and Recreation took direct inspiration from the West Wing. How about that? Uh, he actually appeared on an episode of West Wing Weekly podcast talking about the connections between Parks and Recreation and West Wing, including the fact that in season three, Rob Lowe became a cast member. I love it. So anyway, what I've been doing is I've been watching Parks and Recreation. Ah. Now, I took a friend's advice mm-hmm. with Parks and Recreation. You watch the pilot episode. Okay. And then you skip the whole rest of the first season. Wow. Then you just start with the second season. <laughs> that's, a, they, that's a kind of a big jump. Yeah. They, even the cast says, don't talk about the first season. Really? Yeah, there was an interview where they had the whole cast together. Somebody said about the first season and one of the cast members said, please don't talk about season one. So, but okay. here's the thing, though. You can jump into season two after seeing the first episode and catch up no problem. Really? Yeah. Okay, then. So, I've been watching it, and, you know, this is where Chris Pratt came to prominence. And, in fact, he filmed Guardians of the Galaxy while he was still on Parks and Recreation. How in the world... I'm sorry, when I think of Chris Pratt's character in Parks and Recreation... He may sound the same, but he is a different shaped human being now that he is also playing Star-Lord. Yeah, and they had to write that into the script. Of course they did. And they dealt with it by, they had one scene where he's walking with one of the other characters, and the guy's like, so you just lost all that weight because you stopped drinking beer? Yeah. How much beer were you drinking? 
probably too much. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Ta-da! So, yeah. That, that, that is the best wink and, a, wink and a nod and hang a lampshade on it that I've seen in a while. Yeah. And after I'm done with Parks and Recreation, I'm going to move on to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is still going strong. Here's the thing. I love um, I love all the actors on it. Yeah. And it's kind of a crime I haven't watched it before. Well, the thing that I love about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and maybe I'm conflating, but mm-hmm. uh, I was on a plane ride a while back. Mm-hmm. And it was a very long plane ride. Sure. And they had the entire first season in in the screen in, uh, that was in front of my face. Mm-hmm. So I just sat down and basically binged the entire first season mm-hmm. on my plane flight. It was lovely. Yeah. Well, one of the, the interesting things about Mike Shore is, and it probably pulls it a bit from the Sorkin influence, is fundamentally he, he, he finds humor... In the characters, but, um, well, a little bit less in The Good Place, but he loves the idea of characters who are hyper-competent at their jobs. Yes. And the funny comes from their personalities. Yep. Um, Very rarely is it making fun of, it is finding funny in. Yeah. And that's, and and even The Good Place, because The Good Place is all about these people becoming better people. Right. So, it's... He he definitely has a niche, and it's the, you know, the world can be a better place. Let's just show us how. Yeah. So. And it's funny because I've I've seen bits and pieces of the Good Place because it's one that my wife has been watching. So I will you know hover through as I'm working on the laundry or whatever. I'm like, oh, that's what happened. Oh, you know. Yeah. Probably of any show, Good Place is one where it's really best to go in cold. And not see the plot twists. Because, well, although you can know the plot twists and still really enjoy the show. It, is it saying something that I figured out the plot twist by the second episode that I saw? Considering some of the cast members hadn't figured out by that point, yeah. It oh, means, okay. means you're paying attention. Yeah, well. Yeah. So, anyway. So, that's TV. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just add the, right. the, the one little sad point that uh, apparently one of my favorite shows has been canceled. Yeah. Why not Herb? And, and, you know, not canceled because people didn't want to make it. The production company had trouble, had financial trouble. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's a crime because that's a great show and a great cast. And I do hope that the other cast, that the cast members find more work. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the lead of the show, her, her Twitter account. Oh, hers is great, but uh, Officer Hot is hilarious. Cat Barrel. Um, yeah, so um, not really a lot to talk, you know, oddly with all this comic book stuff going on, there's not a lot to talk about in comic books at the moment, other than to say DC Comics needs to get a handle on its production schedule. DC, need, DC Comics needs to get a couple handles. Um, they've, they've been, um, They've got a series coming out that is consistently behind schedule called uh, Doomsday Clock, which already is problematic because it's the story that's integrating Watchmen into the DC Universe proper. Uh. And, yeah. Uh. Yeah, the main villain of Doomsday Clock, which is set in the main DC Universe, is Dr. Manhattan. Uh. Okay. So... And it is it is messing things up because it's constantly behind schedule. You know, it's probably a good thing that uh, we were not producing a podcast when Batman Fifty came out. Yeah, uh, because uh, this was where the issue where Batman was supposed to get married, and instead they they promoted it as the the wedding issue, and then Catwoman stands. Uh, Bruce up. She doesn't. She she doesn't. She stands him up at the altar. And the way they did it was, let's just say, you know, normally Tim King, Tom King is a good author, and he's and <laughs> that's a heck of a lead in. And he keeps saying, no, this was the plan all along. And and I think it's just he is too professional to say. And there was executive mandates to say we had to do it this way. Oh well. Uh, and that's all I'll say. Uh, 
One book I might get just for the milestone status that just came out this week is Detective Comics 1000. Wow. 1000. Yeah. That 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 is I mean as much any any person who has listened to more than one of our podcasts know that I do that there's no love lost between me and most of DC. But that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Well, and I think Action Comics, I, I should go back. I didn't get Action Comics 1000, so I should. But, you know, obviously the books that were the first introductions of Superman and Batman. I, you know, and they, they basically made sure to go back and, and put everything to the proper numbering so they could honor these milestones. Because, mm. hey, these books have been going on long enough that they've reached 1,000 issues. Yeah. And you think about how long that's taken. I mean, yeah. that is that is saying something. That that. They deserve some props for that. Sure. And here I was happy that we hit 70. So Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we've, you know, we beat seven. Yep. We are 10. This should, should almost be, we are 10 times the number of episodes most podcasts get out. <laughs> we are log scale, but no, that's not. Uh, yeah. 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 So uh, what have you been reading lately? Let's, <sighs> let's, we got a, we got a few minutes left. What, what have you been, what books have you been? The, 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 the three main arcs have been, I'm working my way through the Terry Pratchett Discworld books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm about a third of the way through, um, Mm -hmm. having a wonderful time with most of it, slogging through some of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it is very, the, the epiphany that I had earlier today that I was going to share with you that some of our listeners may appreciate and some of them may go, what? Mm -hmm. Um, Terry Pratchett's Discworld books are a lot like a modern tarot deck. All right. You can look at them and say, that one, they had a really great idea and it was perfectly executed. And others that you can look at and kind of go, they saved that to last and they slapdashed it together. And they, they, they had about 10 pages worth of a plot and had to stretch it into 150. Or the, the artistic equivalent thereof. Sure. So that that's kind of how I feel about some of the Discworld novels. Some of them are perfect. Mm-hmm. Mort, Weird Sisters, all you know, wonderful books. Uh, any anything involving Sam Vines, one mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful stuff. Eric, Faust, yeah. Um, I will agree on that one. That is probably my least favorite of the Discworld books. Moving Pictures. Okay. Was an act of sheer will for me to work my way through that damn book, and there's our one swear for, for the for the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so there's the Discworld. Mm-hmm. Um, as a respite from the Discworld, mm-hmm. uh, I have I am finishing one and starting another. Uh, the one that I am finishing, mm-hmm. I found the original 1984 TSR back when they were still TSR and not Wizards of the Coast, uh, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, the first Dragonlance book. Nice. Wow, that has not aged well. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not the super rapey like uh, um, uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just they, they used up their exclamation point quota in a, by the end of the first chapter. Ah. You know, it was one of those things where it's the 80s, I blame Reagan. And it was, I mean, it was good for what it was, but I'm just more amused that Lord of the Rings, which is arguably twice the age, if not more, mm-hmm. um, has m- less intrusive language and language that knocks you out of the story mm. than uh than the than the Dragonlance book. Mm. But I'm enjoying it. I'm almost done with it. We'll put it aside and it was one that I never got to read when I was little. Okay. So it's that it's that opportunity to finally check that thing off as silly as it looks. Okay. And speaking of silly, the third one in the in the in what I'm reading is a book called Space Opera by Cat Valenti, mm-hmm. which I don't even know how to describe it other than it's hilarious and let's put it this way: I read the first four pages to my wife last night, 
And I think that maybe was eight sentences out of four pages. It, th- she just has these incredibly long, convoluted, well-constructed, you can still follow exactly what's going on, but wow, you're just tired by the end of it. It's amazing. Okay. So that's what I'm reading. What about you? So for me, uh, well, okay, so first off, I have finished reading the first three Sandman Slim novels. Ah, excellent. So I got all the way through to the end of Aloha from Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of on the fence if I'm going to continue the series or not. It really is a good ending point if it uh, had ended up being the end of the series. And I have heard, including from you, that the quality in the series takes a downturn after this. Yeah, I mean, it's not Jump the Shark, but it certainly, it it wanes. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue with that series or not. Uh, and then the other thing I've been reading, uh, I have burned through all, now the latest book just came out and I'm probably going to start it here in the next week, but, uh, there's a series by Seanan McGuire Ah, that I've been reading. So, uh, Seanan lives in the greater Seattle area. I actually have met her. She, she's, uh, she knows Jill. Uh, and I met her once and, and due to the conversation had to say the, these words to Seanan McGuire. Seanan, it's not a good idea to try and hug a bear in your backyard. Generally speaking. To which she answered, hi, I don't know if we've met, I'm Seanan. <laughs> and in a, have you not read my work? Are you not familiar with who I am as a person? You've, uh, seen, you've seen Avenue Q. You, yeah. you remember the bad idea bears? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, so I've been reading one of her series, uh, the Encrypted series, uh, which is, I would put it... Uh, it is, of her work, I don't think it's fair to say it's the lightest of her work. Um, it It is, it's her more fun novels. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Although they're still, I would say they're on par tone-wise with the Dresden Files. Yeah, I can see that. So, and uh, it, as the name would suggest, involves cryptids and people who... I'm a code nerd. I'm, I'm, I'm a code nerd. I never would have got that until you specifically started saying it deals with, with cryptids. And I was like, oh. Yeah, so Sasquatch, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. And and it deals with a lot of, of creatures from folklore. Yeah. And gives somewhat evolutionary, although they have actual direct magic in the series as well. Um, but it's been a fun series, and I've read everything that had come out. The latest novel in the series just came out, and I had it on pre-order. So as soon as I finish the book I'm currently reading, uh, I will move back into it. It is it is a fun series. Uh, she does a great job with it. And she's she's really good at, at the development of her characters. Yep. Uh, that's true of all her work. And uh, and that's definitely while the settings are great and the stories are great, you, you come for the characters, of course. And that's always what I appreciate in in. What I read, so there. The, oh, the, the one little thing I was going to toss in is the fact that the one time I did get to meet Seanan McGuire, uh, she was on a panel with Richard Cadry from who writes the Sandman Slim novels. Sure. Uh, and it led to a theological argument between my mother and Richard Cadry, which I really don't want to get into. But suffice to say, it, it it's it's a memory and it's going to leave a mark. Sure. Uh, actually, what I'm reading right now, I'm uh, reading Ray Bradbury's From the Dust Returns. Oh, uh, and that's uh, it's actually Jillian. Uh, my sister asked me to read it uh, because the project we're working on, uh, she has some thematic elements from it she would like to include in what we're working on. And since I'm actually the way Jill and I write, we break the story together. Uh-huh. Then I go off and write the script, and then she edits and and updates what I uh, write. Oh, so, don't don't say that. Clovis does it. Sh- much as we do not confirm or deny why there are blankets on my windows, we we, oh. we do not we do not we do not say the c word. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. So, um, <clears throat> uh, hail Clovis. Okay. Anyway, um, the uh, so I'm reading that, uh, and I'm about probably sixty uh, percent through. And as soon as that's done, then yeah, I'll jump into uh, the the last uh, the latest of the encrypted books. So. Uh-huh. Anyway, with that, uh, oh, looking at the timestamp on the Audacity, we're at an hour. 
Yes, and my alarm to go to bed has already gone off, so, so yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, everyone, thank you very much for coming back and listening to us, those of us who have kept you on our RSS feed or are discovering us brand new. Welcome. Uh, if you'd like to reach Daniel and I, uh, you can go to fanboynewsnetwork.com and just leave us a comment uh, on the uh, post for this episode. And other than that, in about a month, should everything go according to plan, uh, we'll be back again to, to fill your airways or your podcast ways or whatever we call it in the podcast world. <laughs> that thought got away from me. All right. Happy spring, y'all. This program is produced by Jeff Harris and Fanboy News Network and is copyright 2019 to Jeff Harris and Fanboy News Network. All rights are reserved, including rights to copy and redistribute this program. All music in this podcast comes from the Footage Firm and is used under a royalty-free license. 